You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Oh, give Robin a hand, ladies and gentlemen. That's a beautiful person right there. Okay, let's stand up really quick since you just sat down. Uh, I did notice while Robin was doing an announcement, it's not to like point out the elephant in the room, but it's too quiet in here today. Um, I did have a little bit of coffee, so it's not going to work for me. I have commissioned a few people to run laps and do some testimonies um, if we don't get the energy up. So that's just a charge for you guys. Uh, this is going to be a fun Sunday. So uh, I'm going to pray for us. So Father, we adore you in this place. It's all about you in this place, this moment. God, give us your word, your heart, your encouragement. God, give us your presence. Give us your peace. God, all the things that we can't be, we know that you are. Um, but God, I just pray that you would grip our hearts um, with just this conviction and this depth of purpose that you have for us. And God, we trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. All right. How many of you guys love the Holy Spirit? Oh, I do too. Um, in fact, I don't know who picked the last song, but I listened to that song on the way over here just because I love that one part about the Spirit lighting the flame and the church being born. So whoever you are, you know Jesus and you talk to him because you were on point this morning. But um, I want to talk a little bit about, and this is uh, just to give you some maybe some expectations. Today's going to be kind of a maybe overview for the next few weeks. Uh, I realized as I was kind of preparing and uh, getting ready, this is way too much for one Sunday. So I think I'm just going to give us an overview uh, and then unpack this over the next couple of Sundays. So if you're the practical person who needs handles, you're not going to get it today. So you have to come next week and then probably the week after and we'll give some handles. Is that good? Fair? Everybody with me? Okay, so I love the Holy Spirit though. Um, here's why I'll give you just uh, five seconds of my story. I grew up uh, in a very country Baptist, King James only kind of church. I mean, like a, like a real church. Um, amen, brother. Um, and uh, basically knew nothing about anything. All I knew is what we didn't believe in. That's, that's all I ever learned. Um, and so uh, when I was about 19 or 20, Gotten out of church for a few years, kind of did the, the teenage thing. Um, and um, about probably 20 years old, just started having crazy encounters with the Lord. Um, met the Lord in a way I had never heard about, experienced, but uh, long story short, the Holy Spirit entered my life, started functioning and flowing in a way that I didn't even have language for. Uh, here's what I'll say, it changed my life forever. Um, Here's what I'll also say. It didn't fix everything in my life, right? But it did start the engine of a car that I didn't know I had parked in the garage. Um, and this is kind of how I'm here today. Now, if you ever get bond by the Holy Spirit and no one around you even talks about the Holy Spirit, it's a very tricky task to go and figure out what the heck just happened to you. Because you're going to get judged, you're going to get some weird looks, and you're basically going to get no answers. And so that season of my life began to be this journey of just literally driving in my car hours upon hours looking for places that could just help me define this life that was bursting um, out of me. So I love the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is real. He's powerful. He does what we cannot do. And I fully believe that it is the uh, greatest component for the empowerment of the church. Amen. Now, that being said, the church has a purpose and the church has a mission. Okay? And I want to look at just some greatest hits. Everybody knows verses today to give us a foundational launch pad. But Matthew 28 gives us the mission of the church in a nutshell. Matthew 28, 18, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now he's speaking to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the whole Holy Spirit. Um, this is the mission of the church. Okay, The most simple form, simple way to articulate what is the mission, the purpose, the task that the church has. Right? We call it the Great Commission because it was the mission that Jesus was on, which was to reveal the Father to a humanity that had been disconnected. 
Jesus made these statements. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What he was telling you is the way that I'm like is what the Father is like. He was onboarding people to know God who did not know God before, even the ones who thought that they did. And he's charging these guys who would be the church uh, with the exact same mission. That's why it's called the co Mission. So this is the mission of the church. Anybody disagree? I, you can't. Okay. It's Bible and it's even in the King James. So the real Bible says it. Um, now here's what Jesus is going to do. Acts chapter number one. Verse number four through eight. It says on one occasion while he was eating with them. Now this is post-resurrection. Uh, he gave them this command. Same guys. Do not leave Jerusalem. Now, there's some tension here. I just want us to put this in context, but not relevant to the message. There's tension in Jerusalem. There's persecution. There's storylines. There's some who thought the body of Jesus was stolen. There's probably some uproar. And the political leaders are probably trying to contain so it doesn't get out of control. It's not really the safest environment for these guys to hang out in Jerusalem. But nevertheless, do not leave Jerusalem. Can I tell you this? When things get tense, we usually want to leave something. Right, uh, But I promise you, in those spaces, if we wait on the Lord, that's where God shows up and does what we've never seen before. So anyway, all that to say, they waited in Jerusalem. It says, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, uh, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. In other, in other words, he says, don't worry about it. Um, the father is set by his own authority. Verse number eight, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. power. Say hour of power. power. I don't know why. Hour of power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, I love this statement. But I fully recognize that this one statement can divide a room of people with church history. Because your interpretation and your experience with the Holy Spirit may look different than someone else's. And what we can tend to do because of our historical experiences, fight over who's right and how does the Holy Spirit work and what should it look like, what shouldn't it look like. Should you speak in tongues to really be saved? Should you not? Uh, are all going to speak in tongues? Are all not? Are all going to pray? Like, this is where we go in church. And here's the answer. No one knows. And so I'm going to back up Jesus' uh, kind of pattern when they start wanting to know how's Israel going to be restored. He's like, don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, You'll receive power. This is what we need to know. When the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with power. And here's what he says. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A lot of tension in this statement because of the climate where he's calling them to, and he's trying to articulate a thing they haven't even yet experienced. So they're probably like, oh, that sounds great, Jesus. But they really have no grid for what getting empowered by the Holy Spirit is going to look like, feel like, or sound like. All they know is we're going to hang out here and we're going to gather and wait for this promised thing to happen. And this, I love that we sang this this morning, this is the flame that lit the church. The church had a mission, the church had a purpose, but the power to carry it out was still coming. And it happened in Acts 2 in an upper room with 120 or so people gathered, not knowing what they were really gathered for. But the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the church to carry out the mission. Here's why I shared with you first that I love the Holy Spirit. Uh, Because I do want to challenge us this morning. And it doesn't matter if you are the most spirit-filled individual in the room or if you're the most anti-spirit-filled individual in the room. You should both be challenged and you should both be encouraged. Can I tell you this is what the church should look like? It shouldn't look like a church where everyone agrees about the same thing as it pertains to our experiences with the Lord. Amen. The way God met you may not be the same way he meets me. And the most dangerous thing we can do is copy and paste my version or my experience and place the burden of that on other people. It's the quickest way to get into performance and produce shame when we box people out because we don't perceive they know the Holy Spirit the way that we do. Um, I would go on record saying this. Some of you may speak in tongues and some of you may never. None of you are more deep than the other. 
That's not how it works in the kingdom of God, right? Because even if you think you're deeper, the first shall be last, and there you are, O deep one. But I do want to challenge us this morning, and I'm going to just maybe, I hope I have enough time to do all this. Um, But I, I want to kind of just till the ground this morning and then unpack these, because I realize this will leave a lot on the table. But this is the thing that gripped my heart um, this week. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and empower us for nothing. This goes somewhere. Okay? And the thing that hits my heart, uh, and it does often, I've probably talked about it at least once this year, but here it is again. God wants us to get out of an upper room mindset and go to an open door mindset. Okay? The very birth of the church, these guys in an upper room, the Holy Spirit blows, it fills them, it empowers them, and immediately from that lighting of the flame, a door is open, and Peter and the boys are preaching the gospel in different languages, and the church is being born, thousands are being added, streams from one location are coming to know the gospel, which means they're going to come to know the Father, which means they're going to come to know who they are as lost sons and daughters, now found, and now all of a sudden, this massive thing called the kingdom is starting to be birthed and flourish in a region because someone filled with the Holy Spirit didn't stay in the upper room, but they opened a door. Come on, the greatest hindrance to what God wants to do in the world is not a lack of anything. It's church who has the door shut. Let me say it like this. One of the greatest hindrances for what God wants to do is good church. There was no better church moment I can only imagine than this moment. I mean, come on, tongues of fire showing up. I'm sure everybody's just like flipping out thinking, man, where do you even go? How do you even, what, what do you do next? How do you follow that up? Oh, you follow up with persecution, preaching the God. Well, that's not very climatic. But can you imagine how good this moment was? Remember when I said last week, sometimes we have to leave what was, has been good to embrace what's going to be good? These guys are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus forewarned them or prepped them by saying, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses. He's going to give you power and you're going to be my witnesses. Which means the very power of the Holy Spirit, one of its primary functions, is not so that we can be Christian wizards and be really good at church. It's so that we can be a witness of him. Amen. None of my Christian wizards said amen. <laughs> but it's so that we could be a witness. Now, let me also say this. One of the tensions with being a witness of him is we have to know what he's actually like. One of the most dangerous things in the world, in the history of the church, is those filled with the Holy Spirit, but those without a revelation of what he's like. Why? Because we will prophesy someone's world down, driven by shame and performance and sin. Because we actually don't know what the Father's like. Here's why I love it. It says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It literally means to immerse them in, in the name and the character of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus has just spent three and a half odd years uh, walking with these guys, revealing the Father to them, revealing what he's actually like. And in those three and a half years, the Holy Spirit had not yet filled them. They were not yet empowered in this way. And Jesus is unfolding, hey, here's what the Father's like. He's unfolding what the kingdom of God is like. They're getting a grid. He's painting the picture. They're watching him as he loves and values people. They're watching him as he forgives. They're watching him in these rhythms of everyday life reshape the world. And in watching him, when Jesus says those statements, like if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was the window. He was the middleman. He was the witness of God in the earth. So when Jesus gives us this commission and the Holy Spirit comes to give us power so that we can be a witness, what he's saying is you're now the middleman between Jesus and humanity. You're the window in which you get to display what he's really like. Jesus goes to the cross. They didn't fully understand that. He's dead 
for three days. They definitely didn't understand that. And then he gets back up. They're excited, but still don't understand it. They've had a revelation of what the father's like. They've had a revelation now of the son's purpose and what he was like. And only then did Jesus send the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's dangerous. It is dangerous to try to capitalize on the Holy Spirit without a revelation of the father and the son. Because we will crucify the world in the name of Jesus. Okay? Isn't that exciting? Everybody's so serious here. Isn't that exciting? But the purpose of the... Thank you. Thank you. The sproutlings. The empowerment of the church goes somewhere, though. Okay? We've got to go from an upper room to an open door. Um, here's a great example. This is why I said I'm using Greatest Hits Bible today. Matthew 5, 14. Everybody knows this. You are the light of the what? So there's, your, there's a purpose. You're a light for someone. Okay? A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so everyone in the house can see. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, let me put it this way. He didn't light our lamp in an upper room so that we could stay behind a closed door. If these guys had just had good church and settled for that and then just kind of built their home group around that and never actually saw the missional component of why he lit the lamp in the first place, then there never would have been a bridge built for those to onboard to the kingdom. But he empowers us because this is going somewhere. He empowers us because there is an outcome. He gives us strength and power through the Holy Spirit because there is a world on the other side of this witness who is dying to know the Father. They're groaning to know what the Father is like. Amen. Now, here's what I I, I do want to point out. I am reading my notes today. Um... So I do not rabbit trail extreme in this content. Leaving the upper room doesn't mean leaving the upper room experience behind. This is what I'm after. If if you want to know my heart, here's one big part of it when it comes to church life. I absolutely hate that the church world is divided up into extremes. And two of those we all are familiar with. You've got the spirit camp and the no spirit camp. Jesus is still the same Jesus. God's the same God. But you have these two extremes. Man, God wants to merge his church. But to merge his church means we have to stop trying to capitalize off the moments we've had. And start looking outward. It doesn't mean that I leave what I've encountered behind. It means that's something God did in my life to build upon. And it's coming with me because here's the real issue. And here's what they encountered in in the upper room. They did not encounter a thing. They encountered a person. The Holy Spirit is not an accessory to our Christian life. He is a person that's coming with us. So when I encounter him in those seasons, those upper room moments, and I walk out that door, guess what? I'm not leaving it behind because that's a person who's going with me everywhere that I go. In fact, the mission of the church, that's kind of the point, isn't it? That the kingdom is to come in everyday spaces through a Holy Spirit and a very present God who is with us in every space, not just at church on Sundays and not just in my prayer time, but he's with me in every single space. Here's the other thing the Holy Spirit does, or another thing. And this is one of the ones I want to unpack maybe next week, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to build bridges, not barriers. And think of these as metrics. Is what the Holy Spirit doing in our life, is it building a bridge to the Father, or is it building a barrier from the Father? Mm. uh, Kara was showing someone a photo the other day and it was really funny because uh, a few years ago when we gutted our house to like uh, fix everything you could see through all the floors of the house okay Um, 
because I tore everything out. And so you could literally see out the roof and all the way down through the basement. It was just floor joists. Um, so if you want me to remodel your house, I'm your guy. I can tear it all out. Give me 10 years uh, to complete. But she came home one day, and I should have put the photo up there, but she comes home one day, and there's just floor joists now back to this little temporary apartment we had built. Um, and I knew as a construction guy where to walk, how to walk, how to make it to the other side, how to go from point A to point B. But I also knew my beautiful little wife was going to come home, maybe without the same history and experience and knowledge that I've had with construction, um, and not necessarily know what to do. And it got me a little worried about her uh, uh, little body falling. And so I went and found a couple doors that I ripped out, and I nailed them down, and I made a moat bridge. And it was awesome. It was the best bridge you've ever seen. But I put it from point A to point B, and I built this bridge so that when she got there, she could get from one side to the other. Now, I could do it always, but the goal was to get her on the other side because life's not fun to do in an apartment alone, and your wife is out with the floor joists. And so I built this bridge to get her from point A to point B because that's what bridges do, right? Um... One of the challenges we face in church is often this. We undervalue the need for those bridges, not understanding that most people have no idea where to step, how to talk, how to walk, what to look at. They do not know, even if they want to go from point A to point B, they don't even have the slightest idea how to get there. If we're going to be effective in being as witness and reaching the world, then we have to learn to be bridge builders, not barrier builders. Can I tell you one of the biggest barriers is great church without an open door. Let me clarify. I love great church, by the way. It's awesome. But without an open door, it's fun for us and effective for no one else. Which means we have sacrificed the mission for good church. You can have both. That's all I want to say this morning. You can have both. You can have great church. We can run around circles. We can fly. We can do all the Christian wizard stuff. But if we're not effective in reaching the world and witnessing what he is like, then what's the point? Because this goes somewhere. The early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, speaking in different languages. And here's what happened. Bridges were built instantly. The Bible says that nations had gathered there because of the feast, and they come out, and every uh, stream heard the gospel in their own language. They were perplexed and intrigued, but they were onboarding because it wasn't so irrelevant that they couldn't onboard to what God was doing. Amen? Now, was it weird? Yeah, it was weird. Church is, the Holy Spirit does weird stuff. We all good with that? Like, it, it, um, if you're here this morning and you're one of, you just don't know what the world we're talking about, I just leave here today know, knowing the Holy Spirit does weird stuff. And that's okay. But it's our need for weird that sometimes allows us to miss what he wants to do in the non-weird spaces. There's nothing more weird than tongues of fire falling and a bunch of dudes appearing to be drunk speaking in all these awesome just Rosetta Stone languages. Like they're just crushing it in 30 seconds. They can speak whatever. That's pretty weird. But it had a practical outcome, which was, hey, this guy's speaking my language. Oh, this is who Jesus was. They built a bridge. That's what the Holy Spirit, they didn't do it, the Holy Spirit did it. He built a bridge from point A to point B and said, hey, all you who can't even interpret what's going on here, I'm going to put it in your own language. And they heard and said, oh my gosh, 3,000 were added. Pretty significant bridge that was built. Here's what barriers are, though. An upper room without an open door is a barrier, not a bridge. It's good church that doesn't go anywhere. It's fun for us but no benefit to anyone else. Think about this. The Holy Spirit, and you see this in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit does not make the church exclusive. It actually made them inclusive. Uh, Let me say this one too. Being set apart. Help me, Jesus. Sometimes we get this mindset. That being sanctified or set apart 
means creating distance or building walls. And you find that nowhere in Jesus. You see that nowhere in his model. You don't even see it in the early church. I'm not talking about healthy boundaries and stuff like that. I'm, I'm talking about the fact that we just wall off the ones that we're actually called to. The Holy Spirit is inclusive in the way that he empowers us. Why? Because it's a constant invitation to the whosoever will come to know him to come into the kingdom of God and understand who their father is. That's the invitation that's always standing. But sometimes, out of this mindset that we're set apart, how do I word this? Uh, Robin, text me the answer, if you don't mind. Uh, Listen, just because God sets us apart from old patterns doesn't mean that we're called to be set apart away from the mission. I'm going to talk about this in just a second. We cannot be effective bridge builders empowered by the Holy Spirit to be so without building bridges and engaging the culture in which we live. Amen? Jesus engaged culture. Jesus was the ultimate bridge. Jesus built bridges left and right. And they were risky bridges to build. He was criticized for it. He was mocked for it. But he was also celebrated for it. A lot of gratitude to those he built bridges for or from those who he built them for. Jesus was a master bridge builder. I mean, look at the big picture. Jesus comes, God in the flesh, that's a bridge. Took what we couldn't reach. We didn't know how to navigate. We didn't even know where to walk. We just wake up one day and there's no floor to walk on. Jesus comes and lays down some places and just says, hey, come on. Makes it easy, right? And then he comes and he's just hanging out with everyday people. The kingdom of God wrapped in a present. And he's just sitting with people. Calm, collected, casual. Not trying to show off. I mean, if anybody was going to flaunt the upper room awesomeness, it could have been Jesus. But Jesus broke bread with people. And in humility just sat there. I mean, talk about an open door. I mean, we're talking about going from an upper room to an open door. He's going from kind of a shut heaven to now an open heaven. And it's sitting at people's tables. No greater example than that. But Jesus engaged culture. Now, sometimes in Christianity, we hear culture and we hear inclusivity and we automatically swing into this category of compromise. Pastor said inclusive and now we're all just compromised the gospel. Amen. You know what that is? That's an identity problem that's driven by fear. You know how I know? Because Jesus prays this in John 17. He says, don't take him out of the world, but sanctify him by the truth. And he makes a couple prayer statements, which means uh, the very Holy Spirit that's going to come and empower them is to empower them to fulfill and complete the prayer of the things that he prayed for in Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit comes to sanctify us with truth, which means what's on me is always greater than what's in the world. So I have no right or privilege to build a barrier and stay in my upper room of just me and Jesus and deep things or me and church. I actually still have this mission to reach those who are outside of all of that, and I'm empowered to do so. It's not compromise to lean in to culture and bring the kingdom. It's actually our mission. Amen? Now, here's what, let me make a couple statements um, so I don't get canceled. Engaging culture does not mean agreeing with culture. Okay? Jesus didn't agree with everything. Engaging culture does not mean becoming the culture. Engaging culture means bringing kingdom culture with us being a witness of him to the culture that's around us. That's the mission of the church. That's the goal. It, the gathering's not the purpose of the church. The going is. 
And to go from an upper room to an open door, we have to stop just being a filled church and be a flowing church. We can't just be a gathering church. We have to be a going church. We can't just be a church who's doing great church. We have to be a church who's on the mission of Jesus to reveal the Father. And the reason we need to unpack this, because I know most introverts in the room are thinking, there's no way. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not either. So we'll unpack it and we'll be fine. I promise you. Everyone can do this. Mm. Jesus, let me read this passage. It's a moment where Jesus is engaging culture. And let let me say to you, I pulled up a quick random definition of culture. It's more of a paraphrase, but here's what culture is. It's the social life of humanity, the environment created by human beings in the areas of language, habits, ideas, belief, customs, social organizations, values, etc., just kind of how we're doing things, right? Jesus stepped into an pre-existing culture. Uh, John 4, 6 through 10. If you really unpack so many stories of the gospel, you'll see how many cultural statements Jesus was making without saying anything. And this is kind of one of those stories. Uh, he was going through Samaria, he comes to a town, and that's where Jacob's well was. It says, verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Verse number 8, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Quick context, these Jews and Samaritans did not jive, didn't like each other. Decades and decades and decades of history and tension and even hatred. This was a cultural, uh uh-oh, whoopsie-doo, don't do that, you're going to get canceled, Jesus. And here he is sitting at a well where streams kind of merge anyway, uh, culturally. And he's breaking two big rules. He's talking to a Samaritan, first off. And he's talking to a woman. So just in the conversation, without saying anything else, just asking for a drink of water, Jesus has engaged culture, disrupted some things too, mainly people's opinions. But there he is in just this action of sitting down and engaging someone from the other side. Jesus is building a bridge. And he has this conversation. We're not going to unpack it all this morning, but... Uh, she goes on to say, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Um, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you uh, living water. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, but if you knew who I was. This is Jesus engaging culture, building bridges, and bringing the kingdom of God into a space. And he's not using, twisting anyone's arm tactics. He's not using yelling. He's not just uh, lofting his opinions and warring against everyone's truth or whatever. Here's his solution. But if you knew me, if you knew who I was. Guys, the the biggest driving force and goal is not that we get people to come to church, not that we get them to uh, fix their behavior. Our biggest goal is that we get people to know what he's like and who he is. Because it fixes things. It fixes culture. I, this might sound stupid and maybe audacious, but I actually believe if we can get people just to know the Father without worrying first about all their junk, it will shift culture in a way that all our picketing and uh, sleeping at the White House moment, like all the stuff we try to force into. Man, if we could prioritize just getting our neighbor to know Jesus, not by saying, hey, you need to know Jesus. No, 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 by being a witness empowered by the Holy Spirit who's not just safe in an upper room, but I'm opening the door and building bridges to people who are nothing like me that I might even get criticized for. But if I could prioritize them knowing Him, it won't just fix people, it will shift culture. Guys, the kingdom comes on earth as in heaven because He is known that's, I don't know what this move was, but it's pretty... It's, 
Jesus says, but if you knew who I was. Okay, one more overview branch here that we'll unpack in a couple weeks. This is the one I want us to tread careful on because, again, I love the Holy Spirit. I love weird stuff. But I also think that sometimes what's good in a moment is the very hindrance that we have to cross. The Holy Spirit empowers us. (laughs) Such stupid language. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be fruitful, not fruity. 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 Fruitful, not fruity. There's a difference between a movement church and a moving church. Movement church stays in the upper room and just has great encounters, and that's fine. But a moving church opens the door and builds bridges so that others can have an encounter as well. And a moving church isn't just trying to do their thing and get other people to come to their thing. They understand that he's the thing that they're taking to the world. Okay? So the goal is not to like bait and switch and do events just to get people into the church so that they can see our thing and then do our thing with us. That's a, that's a movement mindset. But an open door, again, is a moving church that knows how to open the door and build bridges, knows how to relate, knows how to let ourselves be humble enough to meet someone where they are. But here's what everybody probably knows someone who's fruity. I've been fruity and still am sometimes. But usually you can tell the difference between fruitful and fruity because uh, fruitful is stable and consistent and fruity is not. Fruity is usually uh, pretty unstable. It's, uh, it's this idea that I could, I, I could prophesy the walls down, but I can't control my own actions. Fruity people usually have a lot to say about how everyone else is doing it but never engaging anything themselves. Fruity people are opinionated, maybe full of the Holy Spirit too, but you can be full of the Holy Spirit and never open the door to your mission or your purpose and you just become fruity. Right? It's the difference between artificial and real. You you know what artificial does? Artificial... Um, borrows the taste and the flavor from the real thing, but it actually doesn't carry any of the substance of the real thing. So it might taste like it, but it actually provides no nutrients. Here's how you can tell fruitful mindset versus fruity is people will be on board as long as you're doing their thing, but they're not here to build anything. Or we just want to do Holy Ghost and you know hope that the world, God's going to move in the world. Bro, but you're the one he's moving through. You know what makes it tricky? I think sometimes we, we, we undervalue the mission of Jesus because of patience. It doesn't happen right away. It's the long play to fulfill the Great Commission. It's not instant gratification. Can I tell you a quick story? Um, I had a friend of mine who was just a loud atheist when I first met him. And just so loud about it to, to the point is it, it was obnoxious. And we just became really good friends. And I was like, baby, this is right after my Holy Spirit encounter. So I didn't know what to do. So I, there were no rules yet. And so I could just do whatever I wanted to do. And so I would just hang out with this guy. And it'd be 2, 3 in the morning. I think all the kids are back there. So I'll go ahead and expound. But dude would be high as a kite drunk as a skunk, whatever. And we'd just hang out, we'd laugh, giggle, and then somehow, he giggled, I laughed. It doesn't sound, yeah. Somehow, we'd always end up in these God conversations. Now, let me tell you this, my goal was never to get him in a God conversation. We were just friends. But somehow, because this was eating up my life, If you're a city on a hill, you can't hide what you can't hide. And it was one of those seasons, man, my city was on fire, like just going nuts. And somehow we would always end up in these conversations and we just sit, he'd be totally, you know, baked or lit on something. And we just sit there for hours 
um, talking about Jesus. And he's always trying to like say, no, nah, there was no Jesus. Jesus was blah, blah, blah. And you're saying it to a guy who just encountered either something. It was either God or, I don't know, somebody spiked my punch. But And probably after a little season there, he moved away. We didn't talk for a year or two. The guy calls me. I mean, it was a year or two later. Calls me. Middle of the night. In tears. And he says, man, I... I don't know what's going on, but I, I've just been bawling for night, nights in a row. Like just sitting here by myself in tears. I, I, I keep going to the Bible. I'm trying to find answers, but I, I just keep getting drawn, and I keep going back to those nights we just sat there. Now, he was high and drunk almost all the nights, but somehow this absorbed into his memory that he could remember it a year or two later. And those seeds took someone from not knowing the Father and to being a radical believer still to this day. And you know how we got there? Not by throwing a bunch of Christian stuff at him, but by sitting with the dude at the well. Now his well looked a little different than the Samaritan's woman. But it was his well. And if we don't take the time because we're so fruity to sit at someone's well, if we just want to get high. See, there's not much difference in someone getting high on the world and the church who just wants to get high on Jesus and call it a day. And I love getting high on Jesus, but he is not my fix. He's not the thing I go to when I just need my thing. He's actually empowered me. And the reason he intoxicate us, intoxicates us as believers is for someone else's benefit. It's ours too, but it goes somewhere. And I don't want to be the upper room without an open door that leads to my buddy uh, sitting in a car, uh, half drunk, learning about Jesus. Because now, all of a sudden, this dude knows who his father is just because we sat there. It doesn't have to be complicated, but sometimes we get so abstract that we can't onboard people. Guys, the difference between being fruitful and fruity is the difference between artificial and real. And what's deceptive about the artificials, sometimes it will actually start with the real thing. But when we extract from the real thing and then we try to take it and bottle it up and reproduce it and sell it and you know put rules behind it, man, that's when we're in trouble. Because we end up with the taste and the flavor of the real thing, but never carry the substance. An upper room is awesome, but an upper room with an open door is fruitful. It reproduces itself. That's what real fruit does, right? And here's, again, what fruity people are. No condemnation to the fruities. If you're fruity here today, we love you. Um, and you be fruity, you whatever. Don't stay fruity though. Um, but fruity people are stuck in this place where we we love the gifts of the spirit, but we never actually desire the fruit of the spirit. And we can get really, really good at it, and tell everyone else about the freedom that we have in Jesus. Meanwhile, we're still trapped in an upper room. No door's ever been open. Because here's what I want to say on a personal level. Even on a personal level, we have to go from an upper room to an open door. We have to go from this encounter with Jesus to the outcome that he empowered us for. The Holy Spirit is in you. Not just so we can be Christian wizards. Not just so we can tongues and heal and all that stuff. That's all great. And I, again, I'll make the case more than anyone this morning. I believe that's in the fabric of the church. I don't believe it ever expired. I believe it's functioning today. I think the challenge we have is we try to extract it, write a book about it, capitalize on it. And that becomes the new model for church when it was really just a moment to light a flame. But since we never actually went toward the mission, we thought the mission was to repeat the upper room and just do that over and over and over again. But until someone opens the door, it's just good church with a lot of spiritual gifts but not enough fruit to give nutrients to the world around us, which would bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's what we're empowered for. I'm not empowered to just be good at prophecy. And I'm not good. Just to let you guys know. Don't come to me. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I can get one every once in a while. But there is a mission that the church has. And if you ever feel stuck or if you ever feel like, man, ah, you know, dormant, maybe. Maybe it's because you're looking at the wrong direction. Don't look for the fix in the upper room. Open the door. Make your story about someone else's. I'm just telling you, man, God unlocks some fruit in our lives when we focus on someone else other than ourselves. Amen. And I say that on an individual level and on a church level. When it's not about our church and our church brand, but it's about the mission that we have in Jesus to reveal the Father through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and build bridges to a community that has no idea probably what we're talking about. I promise you we can do that in a way you don't have to compromise the gospel. You don't have to compromise truth. You don't have to hide the Holy Spirit like he's your crazy uncle in the closet at a party and you don't want to let him loose. We can do church and it be powerful and still be relevant to people who just are looking for the Father. Amen? I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll unpack this more, because I know that's way too many things. Um, and I'm going to specifically pray for the fruity people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Father, I am so grateful for your presence. Holy Spirit, I'm grateful for your empowerment. God, I'm grateful for those nights and those those days when it was just me and you and you were shaping my life inside out in a way that I couldn't even keep my vocabulary up to speed on, to articulate what you're doing. God, I love those spaces, those upper room encounters, God. God, I love that your presence hit a room of 120 who were just faithful enough to gather in an environment of persecution just to wait, not fully knowing what they're waiting for. God, I'm grateful for that whole mysterious side of your sovereignty. But here's what I feel the Lord saying this morning, is this leads somewhere. This goes somewhere. This is going somewhere, is what I feel the Lord saying. And coming thoughts of revival will not just be a repeat of past ones, but they will be something new. They will look like bridges. They will look like wells. They will look like places where the church maybe in times past failed to engage because the upper room was so good that we didn't want to leave. But the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. And it will come through a people who have been empowered to be the witness in the window of what he is like. There is no plan B. There is no backup. This is the assignment that we're destined for. As the sons and daughters of God, this is why we are here. And this is my prayer and challenge just before the Lord. God, give us the grace and give us just that heavenly pool to focus our energy our creativity our hearts, our passion towards the mission that is around us not just the upper room and last God I just clarify for anyone here this morning we are so thankful for the upper room And we know that that comes with us. And there'll be plenty of upper room moments and experiences. But an upper room means nothing without an open door. Because that upper room led somewhere. So we trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. I've had opportunity over the last number of years to 
meet groups of guys that weren't Christians. And uh, they would find out I'm a Christian, but I would not tell them. And just have real, you know, just like Dan was saying, real interchange with them, really, you know, real conversation with them. And um, I've seen a number of them really meet the Lord. And um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a cigar place. I guess I'm going to say it. <laughs> but I'm amazed at the number of pastors that go, quite honestly. And I know one of the reasons is I think all of us have this need to reach out and communicate with people that don't really know the Lord without um, sort of beating them over the head and... uh I always get a big kick when they cuss and apologize. And I don't I don't care, really. But um, one's a Vietnam vet, and um, he's got a pretty rough friend who's there with him. And um, he looked at me, not the rough friend, but the Vietnam vet looked at me, and he said, is there hope for me? And I said, oh, my goodness, is there hope for you? I said, David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. David was all these things he shouldn't have been, king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. But he was had all these issues, but God met him. God can meet you. What do you mean, is there hope for you? Maybe more hope for you than this cranky friend of yours over here. <laughs> I have said things like that. You got to keep it real. Anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's do this. We have prayer teams. If you need prayer or a word of encouragement, come up front here and we're glad to pray with you. Everyone else, have a great Sunday, have a great lunch, and we shall see you down the road. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Dan. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.